0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to a new episode of the Chaos and Shadow podcast. My name is Kyle, and I'm joined here by my co-host, Pagan. How are you doing, Pagan? I am excellent. How are you doing? I am doing very well, because today we have some very exciting guests joining us. We'd like to welcome aboard Greg and Dana Newkirk, the creators and curators of the Traveling Museum of the Paranormal and the Occult, the world's only mobile paranormal museum. You may know them from the amazingly popular series Hellier, as well as their appearances on travel channels, Kindred Spirits, Haunt Me, and more. Greg and Dana, welcome to the show. Good to have you both. Hello. Thanks for having us. Yeah. We have been so excited to talk to you guys because Hellier really kicked Pagan and I into the the mental state. We were ready to dive into a project all about the paranormal. So with that being said, our audience out there knows a lot about the show. They've heard us talk about it for a while and how much impact it has on us. So, how can we not start without talking about high strangeness and the Hellier phenomena? <laughs> <laughs> it catapulted you guys into our radar, so uh, we would love to talk to you about some some aspects of these cases that you love that really stand out to you. Absolutely. So seeing as it released in 2019, you guys really have touched a lot of folks at home. We've we've heard you speak about all of the different kind of rituals that have maybe churned up some energy in people's houses. Are there any stories in particular uh, or aspects of the case that you guys like to tell and retell to folks? Your favorites, maybe?
1: Yeah. I think when it comes to Hellier, uh, it's uh, my favorite thing about Hellier is the activity that other people experience when they watch Hellier. Um, you know, people see most of the stuff that we experience. There's only uh, like one or two things that were too weird, believe it or not, <laughs> to make it into <laughs> Hellier. Uh, so they, there's a couple things that actually got cut because it would just take too long to explain. Um, but my favorite stories about it are the people who experience their own synchronicities after they watch the show they they experience their own meaningful coincidences and you know, like you were saying earlier, the amount of people that have had strange experiences that end up uh, going on and starting their own projects because of hellier, that's what fascinates me and I think that that speaks to... I mean, whatever the weirdness surrounding the project is, you know, I, I, I'm more and more convinced all the time that the project itself is alive somehow. Uh, and the way that it goes and touches people and sort of kickstarts their own, uh, initiations to whatever end, um, I think speaks to that.
2: Yeah. I think I probably would agree with you, Greg. And I think that the one thing that sort of always stands out in my mind is that the fact that people share these experiences with us, which I think is such a beautiful, cool thing that, you know, people would have their own very personal, meaningful experiences. And yet, you know, uh, often those types of experiences can kind of be like laughed at or, or maybe not necessarily understood by most people in the general public. And we're the, we're in the super lucky position where people feel comfortable to come to us and talk to us about these types of experiences that that they've had sometimes before, sometimes after watching Hellier and sometimes during, and it's always just a really wonderful uh, experience for me to have somebody feel, you know, that like this person, I'm having a weird experience and I want to share it with this person because I, I trust them enough to to feel like this is a safe space to talk about that kind of stuff. So those are sort of the things that I think stand out in my mind the most. I love that.
0: Could we? That's amazing. Spend a minute just to talk about the wonderful synchronicities that the show really builds a lot of framework around, because for those that are approaching Hellier out of the blue they may be looking at, at these groups saying, uh, "A bunch of blue balloons. what what are these What are these people smoking? But to those of us who've watched the series, it, 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 there's just so many of these moments that click with us. Could you mm-hmm. talk to us a little bit about those synchronicities? Are there any uh, maybe that the audience has reported to you, some of just some of the strangest there? What shocked you?
1: I mean, the, the, the balloon thing is an interesting thing. I'll talk about that first. I, <laughs> I, I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of people who see the balloon stuff and they automatically are like, oh, these, like you said, these people are nuts. Um, uh, the balloon thing, I think, within the context of Hellier, um, you know, it's a, bi- it's a huge synchronicity because, you know, spoiler alert, but throughout the series, one of the things that we keep coming back to is this guy uh, who calls himself Terry Riss that very few people have ever met um, or know that they have met. And he, it seems to be pointing us towards the direction of something um, in, in a lot of Alistair Crowley's work uh, referred to as the star sapphire ritual. And one of the things that we come across in season two that punctuates this to a point that it's very hard to ignore is a downed tree uh, in a very particular place with a blue star balloon (laughs) deflated towards the end of it. Uh, And then, uh, you know, months and months before that, a deflated balloon became a really, uh, it became an icon that we obviously were paying attention to, like was already in our head. So the mixture of all those things together and the idea of a blue star balloon, the star sapphire ritual, blue star, that's a pretty significant synchronicity that shows, okay, we're supposed to be paying attention to this thing. I can't really speak to other people's experiences with finding their own blue stars or finding their own happy birthday balloons or whatever. Um, but I don't think that's, you know, that's, they're not for me. They're not for us. They're for other people and whatever that means to them. That's great. Um, so I can can see out of, like, out of, out of context, how that would seem really crazy if you haven't seen the show.
2: (laughs) I think the thing to remember too, and it's something that I think is hilarious because it becomes a moment in Hellier where I, we all really need to recognize this. And I think that anyone who's maybe had those balloon experiences or synchronicities, the important thing to remember is that the balloon is is a guiding post. It's a it's the balloon for us, you know, Alan Greenfield, who's who's in the series, he he makes a point of saying they're marker points. Don't pay attention to the balloon necessarily, but where is it leading you? That's follow that direction. So it's the same thing with I think people in the wilds having their own experiences with the balloons. Uh, Think about Them, I like to tell people, try thinking about them in terms of being marker points and guides and and maybe ways of letting you know that you're on the road to uh, more interesting things and to keep going, because I think that's really what they are meant to kind of push towards us anyway.
1: That's uh, just to add to that we experience a lot of synchronicities when we're really in it. So there are moments where there's nothing going on. Um, I mean, I can think of one that I can't really talk about yet because it is, (laughs) it is something that may potentially end up in another season of hellier at some point, whenever that might be. Um, but when they, when they happen to you, like it can be somebody, for example, this is how this one worked. Somebody sent me an email about one Mm. thing, that had to do with the Hellier case. They uh, wanted a particular piece of information that I didn't have to give them, but they, in that email, included a whole lot of other information, and one of the things was a very particular word. That word ended up showing up in three or four different massive ways, one through another email from somebody from the other side of the country uh, mm-hmm. particularly about that particular word three days after that other email. And then somebody I had told about this, um, they ha- they have a particular piece of hellier, uh, we'll call it memorabilia, and it actually has that word on it. And we'd never noticed it before. And that made us go, oh, we need to be paying attention to this. So things like that happen all the time. Um, And I think synchronicities on different levels happen. But when they're that big, when they're as big as the the blue star, uh, when they're as big as this recent one, we know that that's a sign that we're headed in the right direction.
0: That leads off to a a, a second question I have on that, a little bit of a follow up that. And I know this is subjective to everybody that's experiencing their own synchronicity, but is there a way you guys root out what might just be kind of like the pareidolia effect? Do you have your kind of own mechanism or how do you go about handling those situations where it might seem like something's pointing you there, but it's it's not as much of a red flag, or is that more of a gut instinct? I think,
2: I think- we're lucky. I, I was just going to say quickly, I think we're lucky because there is, you know, so many of us yeah. <laughs> that, that when somebody kind of... You know, and, and the thing is, I think we're pretty o- open and honest about this, and we talk about it a lot, but the, the progression of this investigation has sort of pushed us each to our own weird places, and... The there are there have definitely been times that some of us maybe have felt something was more uh impactful or that it was something that was, you know, part of the investigation and the rest of the team maybe didn't feel the same way. And the nice thing about that is having, you know, all of us, you know, everyone from the polar opposite of Connor and, you know, Strand, Tyler Strand having those very different personality types and those very different, um, and even just investigative type personalities is a really wonderful thing. Cause it definitely, it, it gives us this really interesting barometer so that when we all feel it at the same time and we're all going like, okay, yeah, this is definitely something that we need to pay attention to. It almost it's, it's, it's like, it's gone through a, a, a vetting process sort of, <laughs> almost. <laughs> and we have, you know, we've got, we we've, it's made, it to the the you know the final stage um that for me and i think also like you 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 mentioned i think uh the longer we do it it does sort of become like a gut you feel it you just know it you're like oh you know like sometimes you just know it and you feel it uh and that's just it's it's like i i describe it as um Often I describe it as a current, it feels like a current. And when you're in that current and you're flowing that current, um, you know, that feeling. And when you're trying to force something, you definitely don't feel as if you're in that current because often when you are trying to force something, it, it doesn't flow. the The synchronicities aren't happening. Uh, there's a lot of little things that just would normally if you were in that current, uh, it's as if they stopped happening. So that's a pretty good, I think, sign, at least from my own perspective that that uh, you maybe we maybe aren't on the right path.
1: The only thing I would add to that is if if there really is a message you're supposed to be getting, it'll hammer its way through until it gets there Mm -hmm. you know there's the the, some of the synchronicities that we've experienced we just blow off because you know we're i think we we try to be skeptical of our own of our own stuff and if we do that it'll just come through in another way and it'll just come through bigger it just it'll just bang on the wall a little bit harder
0: Mm -hmm. that's wonderfully said that is amazingly said So speaking to some of those currents that were mentioned, we thought we would ask you a little bit about PhenomenaCon, because... 2020 has been a year of high stress as well as strangeness. We've all been locked inside <laughs> for the most part, but we got to attend your September Phenomenicon as museum members, and it blew us away. I mean, we we saw the <laughs> list of people in attendance, but there were many names we didn't know. Since then, Katie Webb has has come on and chatted with us. She's phenomenal. Michelle's joined us, so we thought we can't we can't not discuss this. <laughs> what was it like bringing together? all of those folks in an online space, because this is just a very different year, very different challenges. Well, Phenomenicon
1: started because, you know, we spend the bulk of our year with the museum traveling across the country, sometimes to other countries, Um, you know, usually from spring until late fall, early winter that we're on the road. Uh, As are most of our friends and colleagues, Uh, you know, a lot of people that we know, 2020 really destroyed their schedules. And so we wanted to think of a way where we could uh, sort of bring that conference feeling uh, that everyone was missing online. And we... I mean, we kind of put the first one together in a matter of a few weeks. We just asked our friends. We knew they weren't doing anything. And we just said, let's let's do something that feels like being at a conference. Everybody had a digital merch table. And one of the things that we're very aware of is uh, with a lot of these conferences, people only really get uh, one side of a story. Um, you know, They're usually dedicated to Uh, cryptids or, uh, ghosts or magic, um, or is psychic phenomena. Those types of things don't typically cross over, but you know, like we talk about all the time in Hellier and our lectures, uh, these things are all part and parcel of the same big weird thing. At least that's what we believe. And so we wanted to put together something that accurately showed that. So, uh, really Phenomenicon, they're all the people that influence us. So yeah. all of the people that we've learned stuff from are the people we put in front of people who come to Phenomenicon. All the people that are smarter than us, we gather <laughs> and try and put together. And uh, nothing makes us more excited than being able to introduce people to really smart people. Uh, Who are doing really cool things that maybe people wouldn't be aware of before. So that was really, I mean, it's, it's wonderful. Phenomenocono is, is, it's a, it's a dream and uh, we'll just keep doing them. Um, probably even after the pandemic because they're
0: there's so much fun yes please please I, please <laughs> please peg and i are both people that don't get to usually travel around to physical conventions life just prevents mm-hmm. that and that digital form was was really special we saw a ton of people uh, in your facebook community interacting in in, in a, i don't know uh, maybe maybe it's not different that was our first occasion getting into that group but um it was different uh, as some was just joining to see that high level of engagement and i would also add care Uh, a lot of amazing people in that community that just the audience was so helpful it was such a good discussion going on all weekend long so i know from the bottom of our hearts we we really sincerely hope that continues it was something special that was a,
2: a cool thing that we you know we experienced from it also was again you know having being people who travel so much with what we do it, i think often you can it's very easy to forget that like you said not everyone gets the opportunity to do that And so it kind of, the the first Phenomenicon became this like very eye-opening moment where we realized these amazing events that that happen all over the world are not accessible to everyone. And so if you can even do like a version of an online event, if you can bring some element of that to the, the internet so that people get the opportunity to have those types of experiences... I mean, at this point, realizing how valuable that is, is, you know, I don't think that Greg and I could ever not include that as an aspect of, you know, a lot of the event things that we may do in the future, because it just feels like it's the way it's supposed to be from this point on moving forward. Mm -hmm. Absolutely.
3: Yes. And one of those things that was so great about Phenomenicon, like you're saying that, you know, this was a new opportunity that we'd never seen. I've been to conventions before, but I had never been to an online one. So it was really exciting to have that convention feel without having to ever leave my house it was
0: spectacular <laughs> <laughs> pjs and all right exactly yeah.
3: curled up with the dogs got the coffee everything you need right there and that's the get to, the hang way out to with do some it. Of the coolest people ever
0: <laughs> and to dwell on it for a second i i really like the point you made greg a second ago about the way it's structured um, thematically throughout the weekend you've set a bar with the hellier phenomena that many of us are now addicted to the the crossing of you know breaking out of just a siloed (laughs) approach just ghosts or just ufos isn't enough now we need to be looking at all the dots connecting them so in in telling those kind of stories um how's that how's that working for you how how did you go about deciding you said it was the people that influence you was there any kind of mandate or or theme that you had given them before for that convention? Uh,
1: not really. I mean, that was the that was the beauty of it is, is the sort of theme, uh, you know, that the through line sets its, itself, because uh, I think when you have these people next to each other and you have them speaking one right after another, you can have someone speaking about magic. You can have someone speaking about, um, you know, synchronicity. You can have someone speaking about folklore, uh, ghosts, UFOs, whatever. Um, And if you, if you have the right people, you're going to automatically notice, oh, wow, what this person's saying is a lot like what this person's saying. And one of my favorite things about Phenomenacon was uh, almost selfishly, how many of these people who were speaking were able to use Hellier as an example about things that they were talking about, and they were all talking about different things. Um, and really, a lot of the people that you see, they they inform a lot of the research that we do for Hellier. They they inform a lot of the research that we do personally. Uh, every single person that you see there is somebody whose books I have on my shelf. Like mm-hmm. I, I'm not just going to bring someone to to Phenomenicon because I think you know they're they're going to sell tickets or whatever. It's really I want to make sure that somebody will learn something new from every single one of those people. But it's not something. That they're not going to be able to incorporate in the way that they see the world, especially if there's someone who maybe they are a paranormal investigator who's never considered that Bigfoot is actually a paranormal thing and not just mm-hmm. some lost ape. Uh, I I want you know everything that we ever do, whether it's Phenomenicon, whether it's Hellier, whether it's the museum, we always make sure that people are going to learn something new. That's always the hope. I don't have any. Uh, I don't, I don't want to tell people the way that I think something is. I want them to decide for themselves. And uh, Phenomenacon is a really great way to just line up all of these wonderful resources and let people do their own work. Um, and so that's really the only thing that informed it is there are people that have made an impression on us and that we really respect and we want other people to learn from.
0: Wow, I I would have sworn that there was like a a through line through it. That makes total sense what you're saying there. (laughs) But from a planning perspective, it felt like it that that just goes to speak to the effect you mentioned about the quality of work that's done and, and the way it ties back together. Um when we had Michelle Bellinger on here she kept using again like you said hellier as a reference specifically i think mm-hmm. she said <laughs> that you guys set the bar higher for all shows she that did. come into the future so just so you know oh, wow. and oh, per that's so mouth, nice you guys oh, have reset the bar <laughs> <laughs> Oh lord well don't go <laughs> no against us. back to work <laughs> if we can dwell on that idea for a second of of what all is going on behind the scenes the the paranormal museum is massive and and just yesterday you guys released uh an update on acquisition stuff could could you talk about that for a second i don't know how public you have that but Is there anything you might want to tease or talk about?
1: Yeah, we're always looking for new pieces. Um, We have our tendrils out all over the place and... I think a lot of people, uh, just because of the community that we're in, I think a lot of people assume that we focus mostly on haunted objects, which is not really the case because uh, we'll be the first ones to tell you they're not that easy to come by, dis- <laughs> d- dis- despite what you might see I on eBay.
0: Yeah, I can't go to eBay and buy a divic <laughs> box, Craig. really? Well, you you <laughs> can, oh, wait, but only question. if you're
1: a sucker who hates money.
0: I to part with it.
1: Uh, uh, A lot, most of what we do actually is, is we're always seeking out things of uh, historical significance to the history of paranormal research, cryptozoology, ufology, things like that. Um, And so, you know, we have pieces of, you know, Betty Hill's dress, who is arguably one of the most famous alien abductees. Um, They were pieces of a dress that actually were studied by a lab and they couldn't quite figure out what happened to it. (laughs) So... There's, uh, there's things like that. There are things relating to famous paranormal investigators. Um, there's a lot of pieces from the Hellier case. Uh, and one of the things that we recently uh, were able to acquire... Were all of the files relating to some of the biggest expeditions in search of both the Loch Ness Monster and the the quote unquote living dinosaur, the Mokele Mbembe, uh, that happened throughout the, the 50s, 60s, 70s and 80s uh, that once belonged to um uh, Roy P. Mackle, Dr. Roy P. Mackle, who is a, a really, really influential figure in the history of cryptozoology. And these are files that contain everything from uh, hand-drawn maps to uh, original photo negatives of Loch Ness evidence and and Bembe evidence and Um, One of the things that I think is the coolest are letters and correspondence with other peers in his field, where, I mean, there is interesting as planning expeditions and what it would cost to do these expeditions, what television networks wanted to follow them on the expeditions and even frustrations with other researchers and frustrations with television producers and particular television series that some of them Mm -hmm. are still on the air uh, or have recently come back on the air that most people would never know. And so these are materials that people haven't seen uh, ever outside of a a very small handful of people, and they were just sitting in a garage somewhere.
2: (laughs) That's the the sad part, too, is I think one of the things that we've seen so often and we've heard so often is uh, all of this amazing history, this paranormal history that either gets destroyed or uh, forgotten or, and it possibly like Greg just said, sitting in a, a, you know, someone's garage somewhere and, and just sort of deteriorating. And there are so many stories about all, all of this amazing stuff that, um, that should be, at least we believe in a museum. You know, we, we, uh, we, when we spoke to Tanya Derenberger, she, you know, had kind of offhandedly told us that, uh, you know, a lot of her father's stuff, Woody, Woody Derenberger's, uh, research or whatever he had left over had been destroyed. And, and so it kind of became this focus, uh, of trying to find those things so that we actually can preserve that history and, and share it with, uh, you know, further generations and just people in general, because there's so much of it out there. It's just a matter of trying to find it.
0: I love that. You're right. So, so much, Mm -hmm. having worked at a historical society myself at one point, it is true how much just gets thrown away because family lineages, you know, they don't have a need for it. They don't understand it. And it just, or it it sits out in a garage, it gets moldy or something like that, humid, damages it. So, This is a good time to toss in a question we got over on Twitter from Allison Gunn, who uh, said that they themselves work in a museum. And curious if you have any plans specifically for uh, preserving or archiving the haunted objects. Is there... Any idea of what you might do when they get older, start to deteriorate, and need some sort of preservation work done? Uh, that's something that's always in the back of our heads and
1: something we're trying to future proof for. Um, you know, one of the biggest things is right now, because we we aren't in a brick and mortar um, after 2020, thank God, oh, <laughs> we, yes. we are strictly a traveling museum. Um, so there's, there is stuff that even over the last five years or so that we've been doing the museum, uh, as much as we have, uh, there's stuff that's just too fragile to travel with anymore. And so a lot of that stuff just gets carefully packed up and preserved until we can find someone who can restore it, or until we actually have a permanent location where we can keep it in a place that is temperature controlled, climate controlled, um, under a glass case. Uh, you know, one of the things that we love to do is we want people to handle a lot of the stuff in the museum, but as the museum has grown and as we're getting more and more rare pieces, a lot of that stuff, we just, you know, we can't have people, uh, handling too much and getting you know oil from their skin on and, things like that so it's always in the back of our head um you know there's the amount of stuff that we travel with is such a small percentage of the actual collection so there there's plenty of stuff that we just logistically can't travel with because of how fragile it is or, or how rare it is and so that stuff just stays in climate controlled storage until uh we have a brick and mortar where we can uh, we can preserve it and protect it and still display it uh, the way that it needs to be. So, yeah, we're one always the, conscious.
2: Well, one of the things that we, we've we also been really focused on uh, over the past couple of years, and hopefully it's, I mean, it's something that we're looking forward to having more time to do, is uh, digitally archiving a lot of mm-hmm. the objects in the museum and just having them uh, somewhere online so that, again, much similar to the conversations that we were having about Phenomicon, for people who can't travel, they will still have the opportunity to see a lot of that stuff. And uh, we originally started it uh, with a 3D scanning initiative, and it's something that we're going to continue doing, uh, but just sort of folding it into that idea of digitally archiving as much of it as we possibly can so that... It can exist online, and people will still have the opportunity to check some of it out. That three D,
0: wonderful scanning of Billy clip that we uh, got to see. Play. I was just thinking about that. Actually, <laughs> that stays in the mind. That is that is a really does. cool. It does. I am very yeah. Eager that to was see
1: that. Uh, we we started this three D scanning project a few years ago, and realized very quickly something maybe we should have realized at the beginning, <laughs> which is. Trying to 3D scan haunted objects will come with uh, some difficulty and I don't think that our, our technology was quite there yet so uh, we'll revisit it eventually it's just uh, man what a frustrating pain in the
0: butt that is. <laughs>
2: Can own Who would have thought?
0: <laughs> so, sticking with the idea of a future brick and mortar, Dana, we know that your magic of the month was, it was, slash, is highly requested. I remember you guys were opening up spots pretty live uh, over that weekend. Could you talk to folks out there a little bit about it? Because I'm sure they will, I'm sure you've got a line queuing up, but why not add a few people to it, huh?
2: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Magic of the Month is a monthly ritual subscription box that I hand make. And it really, it started um, with the idea of uh, having something that was handmade and hand curated Um, But that also was very uh, hands-on. So every month what I try to do is I try to come up with a ritual that I think that um, most people can kind of engage with and and I always sort of suggest you know adding your own flair to it and making it your own. But the idea is that I kind of hand curate and create everything that you would need to do that month's ritual and I send it to you and then the fun uh, part I send a lot of you know handwritten or not handwritten, but hand created instructions would be crazy if I did handwritten instructions. Um, oh <laughs> be there forever. It <laughs> yes. would look really, really sloppy by the end of it. I <laughs> promise you. But yeah, I send uh, instructions and just sort of give everybody an outline for how to do the ritual. And then uh, you know, every month we do live classes and we talk about the the ritual. We talk about magic. And it's really a way to uh, to get people practicing magic. And one of the things that I think when I initially started uh, practicing magic, you know, 20 years ago, it's uh, it, it can kind of be a scary thing to start taking your first steps out yes. into into that space. And even for for a lot of the people who who are Magic of the Month Club members, they're also people who've been practicing for 20, 30 years. So sometimes it's really just nice to have someone kind of create and craft something for you to be able to jump into and so I wanted it to be so, I wanted to be uh, something that would be wonderful for for newbies and people who are just getting into magic but also people who've been practicing magic for 20 30 years and so it was meant to it's meant to sort of be this very hands-on experience uh, every single month for you to uh, get to know magic and how it works in your life and and uh, just how how much more magic it can kind of bring into your 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 month and so it's been a a labor of love i've been doing it for over three years now and yeah and i just it's super fun it's 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 taught me a lot about magic um it's taught me a lot about my uh my my own spiritual journey and it's just been a really beautiful thing to see so many different people uh really stepping into their their space magically and and kind of going for it and i love that so much that is amazing.
0: Yeah, we we've seen some phenomenal responses to it on on Twitter. People sharing some of their their ritual work afterwards, and it just seems like such a great program. Because what you just said, I, myself, not much of a magic practitioner until recently, but it, it has such a high barrier to entry for some folks, especially. Sure, yeah. We get folks coming from backgrounds that might be very religiously restrictive. You know, they're afraid to go into this world um, without some sort of guide. So, how has that been, Dana? You, you, we've seen a lot of people refer to you as as their teacher or their guide through it. I
2: think the interesting thing for my own experience has really been uh, it's very it's been a very humbling experience, and and I say that mainly because I think looking into the world of of magic or Uh, the occult or any, any one of those spaces, I think often can be, can feel very intimidating and it can be intimidating because of some of the, the voices that are some of the loudest voices. And it can also be intimidating because they're again, and it's, you know, it's something that's been talked about quite a bit, but there's a lot, there can be a lot of gatekeeping in Mm -hmm. those spaces. And so for me, it's always really been um, my focus has always really been on Uh, Bringing people, like you know, sort of we talked about with Phenomicon earlier, bringing people to the information, sharing what I know with people, and then really empowering people to to make it their own, to kind of go, uh, and again, run in the direction that feels good for them. So, uh, yeah, it, like I said, it's been a very humbling and, and really cool experience. And I, I, sort of think of myself as maybe more of a guide and, and just sort of helping people find the, the confidence to, to really embrace it as much as they're comfortable with and how they're comfortable with it. And it's been a really, a really cool experience.
3: I love it. That is it. amazing. I love it so much.
0: When it comes to some upcoming projects, you guys announced some really, really cool things. Maybe I'll go first to this one about kindred spirits because it might have a little bit of a tie-in. But I hear that you guys are on the premiere on January 2nd, I believe.
1: Yeah, we're yes. wow. we're we're a, a very big part of of an episode that they're doing that is a a direct continuation of the Haunted Salem Live Special that Travel Channel did um in 2018 Halloween 2000 or no Halloween 2019 19 um, yeah it, I was like, has a, it been
2: that long?
1: No, it feels like an eternity. Yeah?
2: <laughs> 2020
3: has
1: made
2: Until, it feel that long.
3: Yes,
1: <laughs> and it is a literal lifetime ago. <laughs> but they had us come on. And uh, I think much to the network's surprise, we did a <laughs> very big uh, interactive intention sigil ritual with uh, viewers. And so millions of people uh, did a magic ritual on live television, which has never been done before and uh it worked really well and freaked uh all of the production out <laughs> and then by like, the time it was second, over <laughs>
2: magic actually works what? Uh, we were like, exactly. Duh. <laughs>
1: at the end of it they um you know that was it and the next thing we knew it was time to go home and we all kind of felt <laughs> like we didn't finish what we'd started there And uh, so Amy and Adam, uh, uh, Amy, Bruni and Adam Berry, who are fortunately the executive producers of their show, um, they just kept uh, they kept asking to do an episode continuation and they got it. And it's uh, it's the season premiere. And uh, Adam says it's probably the best episode they've ever made. Whoa. so I'm as I'm as excited to see it as everyone else
0: <laughs> that's awesome and I hear that there's a special meditation download coming Dana is that connected in some way
2: I I will very coyly say possibly Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. okay. <laughs> But yes, the the timing I think is very interesting. <laughs> so it, it uh it will very much uh, yeah, be be something that is I wanted to make for everyone who is watching. So again, possibly. Possibly. <laughs> there is
0: really good stuff in that Facebook group for people that may be a member of the museum but haven't dug into any of the, the past archives. Um your singing bowl stuff up there is absolutely wonderful. So people go go dig into that. And then I'm not sure how much you can say about it, but we do have some <laughs> questions about a possible upcoming documentary. I don't know how how opener or, or not you could be, but we hear there might be something thing coming with a crone. Yeah, we, yeah. Uh, it, it's funny because everybody yeah, is like,
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it, here's the thing. We talk pretty openly about it with the museum <laughs> members. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, we try and do a project every year, uh, a big one. And this year, uh, we were supposed to have this project out, but COVID sort of hung everything up. Um, but we are working on a feature length documentary. That's all about one of the artifacts in the museum, Um, the story behind it and what happened to this object. Um, Most of the museum members already know most of that story, Uh, but there is a bit of stuff that we've sort of been hanging on to with the idea of, of making this project. And it was originally supposed to be just like a half hour short um, that would give people the history, uh, of, of this item. But as Carl Pfeiffer, who was the director and editor, uh, of, of Hellier, um, he, he was putting it together and he said, this deserves more. So, uh, we have a full length documentary about that piece and everything around it. It's just shaping up into something really incredible and it'll be out at some point next year and uh I think it's a totally different vibe than anything we've really done before and I'm uh, really really excited for people to see it.
0: Ooh, I I also I hope this isn't spoiling too or anything, but I heard that the same musician will be involved that did Hellier, is that correct?
1: Yeah, Anthony Stone. Yeah, so it, we we want to work with the same people, you know. Mm-hmm. We've we've made some really special stuff together and I think we all work really well together, so Obviously, we wanted to get all the same crew. Um, You might not see them all on screen, but uh, all the same crew from Hellier has come back, including uh, Anthony, who did all the original score for Hellier. That's
0: amazing. I'm so excited. (laughs) Yeah, count us. Count us ready. We're we're already in, in line mentally. Did you know Chaos and Shadow has moved to Facebook? That's right. We've got Facebook pages for this show and Revelator Paranormal. Like them today. Become a member on our website and gain exclusive access to our Facebook group. There, you can help us investigate the files, dive deeper, and build this community from the ground up. Huge thank you to all of our supporters. Head over to chaosandshadow.com forward slash subscribe and look for the links in the description to join our Facebook to wrap up our time with you guys we have a couple more questions uh some short ones that we got from the audience out there i thought this was a good one we've we've kind of talked about the the influences behind Phenomenicon, but derek martin on twitter asked the question of what would your favorite or most useful book recommendation be maybe maybe especially for someone just starting out do you have a go-to that you'd each recommend
2: Mm. It's a hard, I mean, I'm one. gonna I'm gonna go with with sort of a boring answer, and it's mainly just because it's fresh in my mind. But I really I love the Mothman prophecies, and I think that it's so perfect for anyone wanting to dip their toes into the the spaces of high strangeness. And mm-hmm. I, I, as someone with a background, you know, my wheelhouse is w- mainly ghost hunting, and uh, it was a book that sort of. Has been really uh, influential, and I think it's a, a really good space to start with. And so I know it's a, it's a bit of a cliche at this point, but I still think Mothman Prophecies uh, by John Keel is a, a fantastic
1: place to start. Really, good. Well, listen. There's really only one book we need, and that's the Holy Bible.
2: <laughs> oh, I can say for coming.
1: anything that we need. Um, <laughs> but besides besides that one, <laughs> besides the needed book, uh-huh. <laughs> um. Uh, I think, very honestly, I, I would really wish more uh, more paranormal researchers would read um, George P. Hansen's "The Trickster in the Paranormal." It's mm. pretty academic. It's kind of a slog in some parts, but it really gives you a great understanding of the way that things like liminality and marginality. And uh, everything that comes with it uh, really shapes a lot of paranormal phenomena. And it, it, I think once you read that book in particular, you start to realize how, how much researchers throw the baby out with the bathwater. So, you know, somebody is accused of hoaxing something. Uh, And then automatically they discredit everything. But when you read uh, trickster in the paranormal, you start to see, well, that's where a lot of that stuff likes to hide. And then it's also where, you know, why would someone do that? Do they know that they're doing that? Um, And then even things like the reason that a lot of paranormal activity happens around liminal places and around marginalized people, people that uh, typically um, most of society wouldn't automatically believe because maybe they have some sort of a criminal history or maybe they live in a bad part of town or whatever it is. Um, I think that's a really, really important book for getting a full understanding of some of the weirder aspects of paranormal phenomena and would highly, highly recommend that that's something that anyone who's, who's serious uh, about trying to understand the phenomena needs to read.
0: And it sounds like a good combo of of recommendations too, because where where you said that's might be a little bit dry, the Mothman prophecies for anyone stepping in, that one tells a very good story for, for kind of awakening it in folk. So I like those Mm -hmm. both really good. Moving over to a question from Facebook, Laura over there asked Were there places that you both investigated separately before getting together? And have you compared experiences or planned to revisit any of those locations?
2: Ooh, I mean, I think that that probably would be a harder one just because we were uh, living in separate countries. Mm -hmm. So I'm originally Canadian. Uh, Well, I'm still Canadian, but I'm originally (laughs) from Canada. And uh, yeah, so I don't know if we had any locations that we investigated separately.
1: Yeah, I can't think of anything that we've done separately because most of, I mean... There, you visited most of the places that I investigated as a kid. Yeah,
2: that's that's probably the closest. Maybe is uh, a, a lot of the the locations that Greg investigated, um, sort of early on in his ghost hunting career. Uh, I've I've investigated since then, um, and it, it's interesting. I think most of them actually have ended up being some of the more active places that I've in, investigated probably, if not, maybe in my top five uh, locations. And we've been to a lot of uh, places at this point in time.
0: My very last question for you both today, <laughs> again, from from the Facebook group, Alex said, I'm curious to hear if Dana has a most intense or most profound Estes session, because those are Ooh. really stand out. Those are really cool.
2: <laughs> I think, I mean, so... The one that definitely stands out in my mind. As uh, the most intense one was probably, ooh, it's probably two. Um, the, the the Hellier Cave, when we yeah. we did a live investigation mm-hmm. of the uh, the tunnel, sorry, the the train tunnel in Hellier, we went back a few months after filming the first season, and we did a, a live investigation for museum members, and that was one of the most intense Estes Method sessions I've ever done. And I mean, obviously, if you've watched Hellier two, you've seen a lot of that live investigation. So that was probably maybe first or second. And then interestingly enough, the, the second one would be um, uh, an investigation. We did uh, 3d scanning the crone and, and, that, uh, that live investigation, I was probably again, right up there as one or two, uh, that that's this method session was, it was, I think maybe to date the longest one I've ever done too. I think it was close to like two and a half hours or something like that. I was on the box wow. for a long time and it was a, it was an incredibly emotional and incredibly, uh, intense, uh, um uh S's method session. And, and yeah, if you're a museum member, you can see all all of those are still archived, but you might see it at some point again in the future in, in future projects that we maybe hinted at. hint, hint. <laughs> hint, hint. hint,
0: hint. Those yep. <laughs> those are great. I watched uh I went back or not it was probably around the Phenomenal Con time that I went back in the archive, found one that you were out Bigfoot hunting and doing the S's oh. method. <laughs> um I was in Ohio maybe. And uh, that was wild. I think I sent it to Peggy and I was like, you have to watch this. this is so I did. <laughs> it was
2: a great one. We were probably at Salt, Salt Fork State Park, which is, uh, it. yeah, it's in Ohio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I remember that one being pretty intense, too. That was a fun night. I think it was just a really weird, it's a very weird location. So I think it was a weird, probably a weird ass session, too. <laughs> yeah. Ohio is
3: also a very strange paranormal state. we, we it we've is. We've had some interesting stories come across our desks from Ohio, so. Doesn't surprise me that it was a weird
2: experience.
0: <laughs> Not at all. And Alex had a second part of the question for you, Greg. Is there any haunted space or even just creepy space? I suppose that you'd never go back to.
1: Mm. Uh, that's um, man, that's a tough one. I think that would depend on a lot of factors. But there, I mean, so I. Really, I've said this before. I don't have much interest going back to the Hinsdale House. Um, Not necessarily because I think that the house is, you know, the the most haunted place on earth, or that it's evil or whatever. But it's mostly because where we left that place um, the last time we were there, it seemed very obvious to us that that place is just feeding off of people, and it's feeding off of the stories that people tell about it, and a lot of those things tend to skew pretty dark. And as people who are very conscious of what kind of energy we put out into the world in our projects and in our information um, and in the stuff that we vouch for, like that's, you know, I think because of the way that that place uh, a lot of that energy and intention tends to skew in a, in a, in a dark way, um, which I think is purely for, for the draw of bringing people into that, to that place. That's just a place that I, I just don't really, um, don't really need to help. <laughs> you know I, mean? yeah. I think that's, I don't necessarily want to give my, uh, you know, energy thoughts, uh, intention to something that's moving in that direction. So, I think of the places that I've been to, that's one that I just don't really don't really have much desire to return to.
0: That's a that's a really great reason for it, too. <laughs> Wonderful uh, explanation to that answer, because before Hellier, I didn't think too much of intentionality in, in magic or anything like that. It just hadn't really clicked with me to this degree, but I, I feel like Hellier... And the work that you guys are doing, the people that are surrounding you all, uh, intentionality has really stood out. So, a big thank you for all the wonderful work and the quality that goes into these investigations. Uh,
1: yes, oh my goodness, thank out. you. That's so wonderful. Means a uh, means a ton. It's something mm-hmm. we're we're very we're very aware of, and I think we, you know, anyone who's sort of tracked where we've come from and where we are and where we're headed can see we're very. Um, we're very conscious of the the uh, actions, of actions and words mm-hmm. and the weight that they hold. Um, and I think anyone who's, who's managed to live through this uh, hellish nightmare of 2020 <laughs> <Yeah>. understands <laughs> uh, how easy it is for things to go in a bad direction just because of some things that a few people might say and can make a whole mm-hmm. lot of people believe with them. Yes. And it's uh, something I think everyone <laughs> yes. should be a little little more aware
0: of (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) particularly in the paranormal community yeah that's a good that's a very good point well i i think this is a on a note of healing and and people coming together watching their intentions that they're putting out they're a really good spot to to bring this interview to a close is there anything else you both would like to promote on on your way out the door any projects that people need to pay attention to
1: um, projects are pretty light right now. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> I, I think for they're coming, we wait, promise. But they're but coming. we're working flip, very hard <laughs>
0: on a flip side, though, I, I got to interject and say for for those that are not museum members, you did send out a massively beefy email yes. yesterday. So you both are very, <laughs> yeah. very busy. The month of uh, December, January is going to be crazy.
1: Yeah. One of the things that we've been doing since the start of the pandemic is we've been trying to. Um, You know, the same way with uh, uh, Phenomenicon, we realize everybody's trapped at home just like us, so we might as well be trapped at home together, and we've been doing special paranormal quarantine schedules where we do special live streams and live investigations, and Dana has... Uh, meditation downloads. And we show people close looks at artifacts we haven't revealed before and um, all kinds of fun stuff like that. And so we just dropped our paranormal quarantine holiday edition schedule. And there's a lot of really, really fun stuff in there. Um, I realize a lot of people are going to be busy, but on Christmas (laughs) Eve, we have something so bonkers planned that uh, I think people are going to freak when they see what we're going to do together.
0: We will be I, there. for
3: one, am totally looking forward <laughs> to it because, <laughs> I mean, we don't celebrate Christmas in our household. So we celebrate Yule because we're pagan. So, sure. you know, it, it's just super exciting that you guys are doing something on Christmas Eve when everyone else is doing their big holiday thing. I, I'm, for one, <laughs> going to be spending Christmas with the new Kirks. So this is going to be <laughs>
1: something
0: that uh, people will enjoy no matter what they <laughs> celebrate. Celebrate. Exactly. It's wonderful. I, I myself used to do a lot of live streaming stuff through Twitch and and holiday stuff is really, really special, I think, because uh, when people don't have anywhere to go, especially Hello 2020, uh, that's, yeah. That's, yeah. that means something to people to have yeah. someone to spend it with. And uh, what a strange, weird family to do. Like, this is perfect. (laughs) This is my Christmas to a T. And then folks will be getting this episode on the 25th there. So uh, a Merry Christmas to those that celebrate and a happy holidays to everyone that's staying weird with us. So... A huge thank you, Greg and Dana. We we really appreciate yes. you taking the time on uh, out of your schedule to do this and for being oh such goodness. amazing influences in our lives. So mm-hmm. keep up the phenomenal work. Thank Good you Lord. so much. Thank you. Really, thank you. It's really nice to hear. That is so sweet. For those out there listening, please look no further than the description below. You'll find a ton of links down there. We'll have all the stuff mm-hmm. so you can get to the museum, to the Facebook stuff. We'll, we'll get you all linked where you need to go. So Greg and Dana, we look forward to chatting with you guys again soon. I know you have so much on the horizon and we will have many, many questions to follow. So thank you again for your time. <laughs> Talk to you both thank you. soon. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye.